Welcome back to the Extension Experience Podcast. I'm Dana Zook. This week, we are focusing on bloat. Bloat, or more specifically, frothy bloat, is a major cause of death of cattle grazing small grains pasture. Even though producers, many producers, understand that this happens and they understand the risk, um, and some even take precautions to manage it, it can occur suddenly and without warning. So it is kind of a, a big risk on small grains pasture. And from one year to the next, it can be bloats that occur can be different. So as we move into March and we experience more growing season temperatures for our small grains pasture, I felt like it was pretty important to discuss bloat and all the research that we have conducted at Oklahoma State regarding small grains pasture, um, frothy bloat, and that sort of thing. So I invited Dr. Paul Beck to join me. He, I am sure, got in on some of this research with Dr. Gerald Horn way back in the day when he was a graduate student. You'll have to correct me on that, Paul. So welcome, Paul. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you, uh, Dana. Uh, Appreciate the invitation. Um, Yeah, I was some of the research that we actually planned on doing with with bloat uh, with Dr. Gerald Horn. uh, We never got bloat that year. Some of the students that followed me were actually able to conduct those trials um, in other studies where we were doing research out at the Marshall area. We had some bloat, but not where we were designing our our bloat experiments. So it's uh, like you said, sometimes this is just occurs where it occurs. And we we know what's going on with the forages and with the cattle. Um, so we can have some educated guesses as to where we might see it, but still it just takes a lot of observation to able to be able to catch it, especially if we have severe bloat that could lead to death. But we do have research out there that and frothy bloat is not only something that happens with wheat pasture, it can happen with people grazing alfalfa, grazing certain legumes, and all those risk factors that come together are are all fairly similar across all those species. So, Paul, why don't you just give us start with the basics? So what is frothy bloat? Is it to explain that? Because I think some people just think it's a gas problem, but that's not exactly right. So gases are naturally produced in the rumen whenever they uh, break down forages through fermentation. Uh, CO2 and methane, uh, hydrogen uh, gases are all released from that fermentation process. What happens is the wheat pasture and even these legumes have a lot of soluble proteins and soluble sugars in them. They're very high quality forages and they're rapidly available in the rumen. And when those are released in the rumen, they can form a stable matrix or or across the top of the rumen mat. And then those gases bubble up through that matrix and cause this very stable foam that blocks the esophageal orifice and they can't eructate gas out. So or it's more difficult. So in lighter cases of bloat, they just have a, a gas accumulation um, and they're able finally to eructate those gases out. In more severe cases, they just have a severe blockage and they just cannot uh, release those gases. So one of the reasons why we see bloat at the times we do is the the fiber content of these early spring forages. It's fresh regrowth. We just have a um, you know, it's it's usually grazed fairly short during, you know, December and January. 
And then that fresh regrowth, you know, it, it's growing 40, 50 pounds of dry matter per day in, in these kind of growing conditions, but it's all fresh regrowth. And there's very little fiber. It's very high in protein and very high in those sugars. And then we have times where we have a really nice growing day, but then a frost in the morning. And that disrupts the plant cells and makes those soluble uh, nutrients more available and more readily available when those calves get up and graze for their morning grazing event. And that's what leads to a lot of our uh, bloat when we do see it. It's those really nice warm days when we're first breaking into the, you know, springish weather in February and, and then have frosts and, and that type of thing. If we had a more mature wheat plant with more fiber, that causes the rumen to stir a lot more. You know, fiber scratches the rumen or, or creates the rumen to contract more. So that disrupts that foam more. And, and so we have more rumen activity with higher maturity of forages. And that's why we may see bloat for a week or 10 days or three weeks, but then it gets the, the wheat pasture gets ahead of the cattle, starts putting on more fiber, and we gain that maturity and, and you know, our bloat problem is, is over. One of the things in, in that can also lead to increased severity of bloat, uh, the mineral imbalance of wheat pasture. It's higher in phosphorus uh, and deficient in calcium. Also, there's, you know, some magnesium issues that it's, it may not be deficient in magnesium, but our, our uh, balance of those nutrients aren't quite right. Well, magnesium and calcium are involved in muscle contraction. So if we have, if we're not feeding a wheat pasture mineral that has the right calcium in it, our muscle contractions of that rumen, which is a very muscular organ, uh, won't be as strong. So, you know, that could be a complicating factor that could increase the severity of bloat when bloat conditions are, are uh, occurring. Okay. So I'm glad you mentioned that mineral kind of imbalance, Paul. So let's, let's talk about that. So a lot of people say, oh, I'm feeding a high mag mineral for my wheat pasture calves or... Well, let's just focus on wheat pasture calves because cows are a little bit different from that perspective. So... So that sounds like high magnesium is important, but we don't want to forget calcium. So the high magnesium, you know, when, we, when I say high magnesium, I'm talking about a 10% magnesium type mineral, you know, right. very high in mineral, uh, that mineral magnesium for a beef cow. Okay. For a stalker calf, you know, it needs some magnesium, half percent, okay. 1%. Magnesium oxide is a very bitter uh, feed ingredient. And mm -hmm. if we move from a normal, you know, wheat pasture mineral designed for stalker calves that has, you know, that appropriate level of magnesium to a very high magnesium mineral, we'll have decreased intake. Um, and calves will just go off from that. And if they're not eating that mineral, then, you know, it's not doing any good. It's just out there. Um, it's available you know, for them to consume, but they're not consuming it. So they're not meeting, the, getting those calcium or the magnesium that they need just because they've quit consuming that mineral. Yes. Very good point. Very good. I, I've always talked about that, but you know, it's good to kind of reinforce 
the importance of a balance of minerals in that in that perspective. So for those people who may not understand wheat pasture, grazing wheat pasture, cattle really are consuming a very high amount of forage. So we've measured uh, intake of wheat pasture uh, for a good sized calf, you know, a 700 pound calf, you know, they'll consume three to three and a half percent of their body weight as dry matter. And this early spring regrowth can be very low in dry matter. So, you know, if we're talking about 20% dry matter, they're consuming. Yeah, here I'm doing pounds. math for you. We're gonna... yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, they're Paul. consuming about 100 pounds or more of fresh forage with right. all the water. So they're consuming a huge amount of material to you know, meet their dry matter needs. And that's why, you know, their stools are very loose. You know, we talk about that wheat pasture mm -hmm. uh, manure and, you know, it's high in protein, it's it's high in energy, you know, it's an excellent forage, but they're just consuming a, an incredible amount of it to, uh, to meet their needs. And whenever they start, you know, we see them in the mornings, um, you know, these very highly productive wheat fields you know, they, they get up at daylight, they start grazing, and then by nine o'clock, you see them starting to just stand around or pick around. They may be doing some some picking grazing, but they're not really, you know, doing their intensive grazing. And, and so they're consuming their morning meal in a couple of hours. So they're consuming a lot of forage and a lot of mass in a very short amount of time right you know especially right there after a frost whenever um so you know whenever that bloat is is most likely they're consuming they're having their morning major morning you know grazing bout and consuming an incredible amount of of material so you talked about more mature type uh small grains forage what is saliva what is the role of chewing their cud and saliva play and kind of managing this as well. That's a good point. If we have even wheat plants that are older, it, you know, when we look at like the, the wheat plant, it's not really more mature because it's all leaf, you know, it hasn't really gone into the maturity of reproduction yet. But if those leaves are older, like we didn't graze it all the way to the ground, it will have more fiber you know, carrying over from December growth or, or, you know, earlier growth. So that fiber, as I said, it causes the, the rumen to turn over more. Well, they're ruminating those boluses and chewing that over because of the fiber to break that down. And that causes saliva production when they're rechewing. And saliva has compounds in it that disrupt the the stump the foam and can help alleviate some of those bloat signs or, or symptoms. Uh, the stable foam, the you know release of, easing the release of gas. So you know that's how you know if we uh, don't maybe overgraze through the the December January period or or we have you know some excess growth carrying over from before, that's why we might not see bloat in those areas where if we have a very short, you know, grazed paddock and it's regrowing, there's not that fiber in there to get them to re-chew their cud or, or masticate and, 
and you know less uh, saliva production because it's it's a wet forage. They don't need the saliva to uh, like they would if you're they're consuming dry hay. It's already wet, so they don't have to produce as much saliva to get it chewed and swallowed. Yeah, so we're getting we're getting a great uh, what would I say ruminology one hundred and one here, Paul. Right, I love this. Yeah. It's a great yeah, conversation. So for listeners, if you don't maybe understand or, or haven't thought about this, eructation, rumination. So like doing the chewing action is how cattle break down that long sim forage. And the saliva plays a big role in, in the whole system. We won't get into that, but yeah, especially from this. And so just again, I told Dave Lawman um, on a, a previous recording how fascinating this is people are really hearing that I'm nerding out on this. So this is, this is cool. Yeah. So it's very different for cattle and wheat pasture than it is just a traditional cow grazing either summer forage or hay or something like that. So it's, this is quite a different type system. So let me address a question that's come up this year based on kind of our past year up until May of 2023, we we're kind of in a deep drought is my opinion. You probably agree, Paul, many parts of Oklahoma. And so we had a failed wheat crop in many areas, not all areas, but many areas. So based on that, and maybe that wheat plant has left some fertility out there from last year, um, is, is it likely if we reapply nitrogen and we have a higher quality wheat plant, and I've got a lot of details here, Paul, will a higher quality wheat plant cause more bloat? Will there be more protein out there to cause more bloat? What do you think about that? I've had that question. It sounds kind of crazy, but what would you say to that? I I do believe um, we, we have some anecdotal uh, or some observational um, experience that if we, we fertilize, um, which is is needed absolutely needed to push forage growth very soon after that after we get those rains it it does push that growth and you may see uh some bloat directly after that now that's also tied to when we get the rain to incorporate the fertilizer and the growing conditions to push that growth you know which one is it really the 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 fertilizer or is it the, the growing conditions? So, right. you know, my thought is, you know, we, we need to fertilize whenever we can capture that best bang for our buck with the fer fertilizer. We need to, to push our growth of that plant so that we can, you know, get forage growth to, you know, produce the um, animal body weight that we need. And if we don't fertilize, you know, will it just stay, in a lower growth stage and, you know, stay, you know, if we do fertilize, we get really good growing conditions. We'll blow through that growth uh, stage. That's really causing the bloat probably a little bit quicker. Right. Because with fertilizer, we may be accumulating four pounds uh, for every growing degree day. So 50, 60 pounds of forage dry matter per acre instead of two or three. So the animal's able to keep up with the, you know, unfertilized forage and may stay in that sweet spot for more bloat longer. 
Oh, okay. So, and, and that's just my theory, and I have no way to back that up. But you know. <laughs> well, we do appreciate your insight in that, Paul. I, I, uh, I've had that question several times, but I think that that's a good point. The point is, there's so many factors here that can cause this. So, I, I'm, I did a little bit of reading, and it looked like Dr. Horn's research from the '70s and '80s kind of, kind of alluded to that but didn't get it too specifically. There wasn't a lot of, you know, accumulated research to see that. Bill Pinchek uh, down at Vernon, Texas, at the Texas AgriLife Research Station there, uh, spent a good part of his career looking at wheat pasture bloat. And bloat historically follows or will stay on the same farms. It's a, you have farms that are more bloat provocative than others and, you know, it may be soil type or or just fertility. There could be all thing kinds of you know, and it may just be that producer's management on that farm. You know, but he was able to uh, better than anybody else that I'm familiar with create conditions where he saw bloat when he wanted to to do his bloat research. And well, yeah, it's convenient. So, <laughs> a lot of that is you know that he was doing it with growth rates, stocking rates, fertilizer timings. There was a whole bunch of factors that he put together, you know, on that, you know, red rolling soils down there at, around Vernon to uh, to create those bloat issues whenever uh, he was studying bloat. Very cool. Okay. So we talked a lot about what it is, how, it, why it occurs. What can we do about it, Paul? There's lots of things that we have out there and Oklahoma State research to back it up. We, we addressed... Um, how mineral, the balance, just basic mineral will help. What about mineral that includes an ionophore? Well, uh, as I said, we we really want a high calcium, low to no, you know, very little phosphorus mineral with a, you know, little bit, half to 1% uh, magnesium uh, in that mineral to help with, you know, make sure we have our mineral needs met in the animal. Uh, along with that, that can mineral product can be a carrier for a multitude of things. We have uh, ionophores. Uh, a lot of people will use uh, Bovitec, which is uh, the ionophore lysalicid. Uh, also, rumensin or or the the ionophore monensin. So we've done research at OSU uh, looking at those non-medicated mineral, uh, rumensin mineral or lysalicid mineral, uh, Bovitec mineral. And, you know, ionophores, you know, they, they work by changing some of the uh, ruminal uh, microflora, changing some of the, the volatile fatty acids. And for one reason or another, the rumensin product uh, or monensin min uh, mineral product or, 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 you know, in some cases, hand-fed supplements decrease the incidence and severity of bloat. Didn't knock it out completely, but where the controls were seeing, you know, bloat scores of two or three, um, some of them approaching fairly severe bloat, uh, the remensin mineral stayed at a bloat score of one. And, you know, there was fewer days of bloat on those. So there were some breakthrough bloat, but it really decreased that severity of the bloat. When they looked at the, the Bovitec mineral, the lysalicid um, ionophore, it was the sim same as the controls, no influence on how much bloat they saw in those 
wheat pasture cattle. And, and we've seen that also, you know, with dairy cows and on alfalfa or clover pastures. And, and we've seen uh, menensin worldwide. There's a lot of menensin being used uh, just for that bloat, uh, help the help with the bloat problems. What we saw last year when we got into some severe bloat was a lot of breakthrough bloat where cattle were on menensin minerals or a uh, even hand-fed supplements where they were supplied some menensin. Um, we got into some very severe bloat conditions last year as well and uh, very bad bloat, breakthrough bloat. What I like to suggest is if we're feeding menensin, that at least slows it down so we don't go find dead cattle. So when we start seeing bloat break through when we're feeding menensin, that gives us time to go get uh, mineral containing a paloxylene or bloat guard um, or bloat guard blocks. And, and last year when bloat came, you know, I, I told producers, well, put out your bloat guard blocks. And they're like, we don't have any started calling co-ops and they had to drive two or three counties away to, to get their, you know, paloxylene or bloat guard blocks. This time of year, I'd suggest we, we at least have enough bloat guard blocks on hand and they can carry over from year to year. A lot of times just be able to put them out whenever you see bloat and take care of those issues. And that gives you some time to order more into your local feed supplier. The benefit of those ionophores is they increase performance of cattle on wheat pasture uh, by about 5 to 10%. Uh, so that pays for itself, or more than pays for itself, um, where if we're feeding a, a bloat guard mineral or a paloxylene mineral, then we're not seeing a gain benefit. So we're seeing the expense, but but no gain benefit, so it's just a net cost. So a lot of producers will feed that bloat guard product all the way through the winter, but it's it, to me, it's more cost effective to just supply that whenever it's needed and make sure the cattle are consuming it as well. So last year, you know, we got in some severe bloat, like I said, and there was a lot of producers that had been hand feeding and then they just dosed the bloat guard on top of the, the where they were feeding and were able to control it that way. But we got to get the right product, but the cattle also have to consume that product. So whether it's in a mineral, some cattle will only eat mineral every other day. So got to have a way to get it into them whenever we're, it's really necessary. So one more question before we wrap up, what does offering hay or a low quality roughage or straw on wheat pasture do to control bloat? That's a good question. The research from the 70s and 80s, uh, Dr. Terry Mader, who had spent a career at University of Nebraska, did this research on his PhD with Dr. Gerald Horn. Um, when they were feeding this low-quality roughage, didn't see any difference in, in bloat uh, when they're feeding wheat straw. And part of that is just the very low consumption of that. Cattle will consume some. And, you know, the theory is that will provide the fiber to, to get the rumen contractions going. I have done some research with moderate quality forages, and we have seen a gain benefit to Bermuda grass silage, Bermuda grass hay when when feeding cattle on small grain pasture. So they're consuming more of a more palatable 
uh, hay product or or you know even a, a round bale silage type product, but I have no direct knowledge about any research showing a decreased bloat. Um, if it makes you feel better, I always say it's fine to go ahead and do it. It's not if it doesn't help, then then you've at least done something. But you need to also uh, if you get into some severe bloat, then you know it's time to uh, to do some other measures as well. Yeah, Dr. Horn, this is an exact quote from him who's told me several times, it is a practice of no consequence. So if it lets you sleep better at night, by all means, put it out there. Okay, so we, just as we wrap up, Paul, what, what does a calf look like that's bloated? Which side is more bloated than the other? You know, we'll look at a, a calf that's just consuming a lot of feed and, you know, they'll get big on the, the left side. When we see bloat, that paunch on the right side starts getting big and it starts getting over their back. And they that's why cattle start taking on that egg shape. Uh, just a calf, you know, eating a lot of feed will, you know, they'll just swell out to the sides. And, and a lot of that's on the where the rumen is on the, the left side. Um, but bloat, you know, that gas is accumulating and pushing that paunch up. So um, you know, I, you know, say a, a bloat score one, we have a, you know, a slightly distended appearance, you know, then we get into twos, threes and, and very severe bloat. They start taking a very egg shape and that gets way over their back. And, and mm -hmm. if you haven't it, new producers or producers that uh, haven't watched for it or, or, or observed it, you know, will will confuse just being full with, with bloat. But whenever you do see it for real, it, it's very evident. So just wanted to put that in at the end before we wrap up. Paul, thank you so much. I will put several topics and several fact sheets in the show notes of this episode. If you're interested, contact your county extension educator if you need some assistance kind of determining some products to help with bloat um, or they can get us get you in contact with a, a specialist to talk through that. Paul, as we wrap up, what are just some final closing remarks you might have for listeners about controlling bloat this spring? Uh, it's incredible how fast this bloat can occur and how severe it can get in a, a very quick amount of time. So uh, last year I had a producer call. They'd been out checking early in the morning. He had been on one farm feeding calves. They were all fine. Went to the next farm. By the time he got to his next farm, 15 minutes later, his neighbors were calling and said, you have calves down with, you know, with bloat. And he had just left that that place. So 20 minutes, you know, can can make a, a big deal. So, you know, if you think you may be having issues, just make sure you check those cattle often and and be ready. Because, you know, if you don't have that bloat guard product, loxaline product in it on hand and you have to go looking for it halfway across the state, it's going to be a delay that you cannot really afford to have. Very good advice, Paul, with the price of calves these days. It's pretty can be a pretty expensive oversight if you don't have those products on hand. So thank you so much, Paul, for joining us. This was very enlightening, very informative. Appreciate you taking the time. Thank you, Dana. Yeah. Thank you, listeners, for joining us. Have a wonderful week. <music>